0: Hey, this is Empowerment Coach Ashley Baxter, host of the Courageous Worth Podcast. However, this particular episode is from my old show, the Restoring Heart Podcast. Although I removed most of the 30 episodes from that show, there were seven that I could not part with, and this is one of them. You can feel free to listen to it or skip ahead until you get to the first episode of the Courageous Worth Podcast, which is entitled Helping You Live with Courageous Worth. FYI, if you do continue to listen to this episode of my old podcast, know that my business has undergone many changes since then. So some things mentioned may no longer apply. For example, my social media handle and website names have changed. Today, you can find me on social media platforms at the Baxter, and my website is TheAshleyBaxter.com. Okay, you're still here, so I'm guessing you're about to listen to this episode. This particular episode was an interview about facing hardship and the importance of not losing heart. So thanks for listening to this episode from my old show, as well as listening to episodes of my current show, The Courageous Worth Podcast. Welcome to the Restoring Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Baxter, and every Thursday, a new episode is posted to help you restore heart to your life and to the lives of those around you, because our hearts are valuable and desperately needed in this world. Hey guys, today is episode six, entitled Holidays in the Midst of Loss. On this episode, I had the privilege of interviewing one of my best friends, Leanne Haskins-Gilbert. Leanne is a truly special soul who loves hard, stands up for others and what's right, and has this amazing ability to create memorable environments for people and then capture those moments through her photography. Although we apparently met when we were little, at least that's what our mothers have told us, it wasn't until about five years ago that our adult friendship began. A year before us re-entering each other's lives, she lost her dad. This December 27th will be six years since its passing. And on today's episode, she shares her story of grief thus far. Now, I love talking to people, and especially when you're interviewing one of your friends, it is easy for the conversation to take a life of its own. Before any editing was done on this episode, the recording of our conversation was two and a half hours long. After some editing, I found myself with two versions of this episode, a 50-minute interview, which is what you're about to hear, and then an extended 90-minute version. The 90-minute episode is available only to certain tiers of Restoring Heart's Patreon community. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it is a platform allowing people like you to support creators like me in order for us to continue making content. Patreon has creators ranging from writers to musicians to podcasters and so much more. As you may know, earlier this year, I left my successful corporate job in clinical research to start Restoring Heart. Although I love the company, the people I worked with, and the position I was in, I knew I wasn't where I was supposed to be. So I quit my job and took a step of faith to start Restoring Heart in order to help people find heart when it's been lost and tend to it once found. Although this journey has had lots of ups and downs and been a lot of work, by far it has been so rewarding. I love reading reviews like this one on iTunes. I can't even begin to explain or express the emotions that stirred in me as I listened to this. I wish so much something like this, someone like this, had been available at certain dark times in my life. Feedback like that has made this whole journey worth it. I believe with everything I am that our hearts are one of the most neglected things in this world. And I also believe that if we were to invest more in our heart and in the hearts of those around us, that it truly would be life-changing and world-changing. I believe there's so much that I quit my job to help people walk through the fears holding them back and step into the beauty, freedom, richness, and all the endless possibilities that come from when we actively restore heart. However, in order to keep going long term, I will need your help. Podcasting may seem easy, but planning, recording, editing each episode, writing show notes, and creating downloadable worksheets that come with the solo episodes take between two to three days. Then there is everything else Restoring Heart is doing, such as creating Haven, which will be an online space for survivors of sexual trauma who identify as female, which is opening in mid January. My long term dream for Restoring Heart is to lead retreats and to one day open a retreat center for people to break away from the world, rest, and reconnect with themselves and what is truly important in life. So I hope you will join me in making that dream a reality by considering to be a financial patron of Restoring Heart. You have no idea how deeply humbled and grateful I am for those who have signed up to be patrons already. If you take a second to visit Restoring Heart's Patreon page, you will see there are four different possible tiers of giving, and each tier has a different benefit and a different unicorn name since I'm a bit obsessed with unicorns. The tiers range from $3 a month to $25 a month. The $3 tier is called the Unicorn in Training, And that tier gets a monthly message with stories of those being helped by Restoring Heart and also the latest updates of where Restoring Heart is going. Next is the $10 tier, which is Baby Unicorn. This one gets the previous tier's benefits as well as the extended interview podcast episode for each month. So for example, today's 90-minute version with Leanne is now posted to Patreon for those that are in the Baby Unicorn tier and above. This tier also gets to vote on different decisions Restoring Heart is making that I would love your input on. Next is the $15 tier, which is the Teen Unicorn. This one gets the benefits of the two previous tiers, as well as access to a monthly live web hangout with me and all the other Teen Unicorns and above. At the beginning of each month, we'll have a chance to hang out and for you to ask me questions about any of the podcast episodes or anything else that pops in your head. You'll also get to vote on who will be the winner of each quarter's Acts of Kindness project which I'll explain in a second what that project is. Last, in the $25 tier, which is the Flying Unicorn, this tier gets all the benefits of the tiers below it. Plus, a thank you shout out on one of the podcast episodes after your initial pledge. Plus, and what I'm most excited about is you have the vitally important role of nominating people for the quarterly Acts of Kindness Project. Okay, so let me tell you what that is. The Acts of Kindness Project is something that I'm so excited about. As you know, not only do I care about you investing in your heart, but also in the hearts of those around you. The Acts of Kindness Project is one way to help make that happen. Every quarter, 13.12% of Restoring Heart's Patreon net earnings will be used to help an individual or family with a specific need who is running low on hope. This could be a family who needs money for school supplies or money to pay for a few hours of babysitting. Over time, the more patrons to join Restoring Heart, the more money we will have to give. I have visions of us one day surprising a family with a car. But what I especially love is I'm not the one picking out or nominating the winner. You are. As mentioned, the flying unicorns have the role of each quarter nominating an individual or family that they know for the Acts of Kindness project. Then the teen unicorn tier will get to vote on the winner, I am so excited about this project and can't wait for it to get started once Restoring Heart is net positive, which I'm really hoping will be by the end of the first quarter of 2019. In case you're wondering why I picked 13.12% of Restoring Heart's net Patreon earnings to go to the Acts of Kindness project, it's because of a proverb that I love. Proverbs 13.12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a wellspring of life. Regardless of if the words in the Bible mean anything to you or not, I think we all can agree that there's truth in that saying. I hope you will consider becoming a patron of Restoring Heart and helping us bring some hope to people's lives through the Acts of Kindness Project and through everything Restoring Heart is putting out in the world. You can find out more by going to patreon.com backslash Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Again, that is patreon.com backslash You can also find links to it on my Instagram bio and on the Restoring Heart website. Okay, now let's jump into the interview. Again, this is the 50-minute version you're about to hear. If you would like to hear the 90-minute version, which has more stories, more conversations on dealing with grief, showing up for people, spending Christmas in the hospital, a government cover-up from D-Day, no, I'm not kidding, (laughs) this is for real, and even a few minutes when our conversation drifted to our friendship during the Kavanaugh trials. Then head over to Restoring Heart's Patreon page and sign up for either the baby unicorn tier or any of the tiers above it. I promise when you get to the page, it'll all make sense. And now, on to the show. So I'm here right now with my friend Leanne Haskins Gilbert. Now, Leanne and I were friends when we were little, but we don't really remember it because it's a stretch. Yeah, it's a stretch. (laughs) I'll to sleep that <laughs> I like that. I think that's funny. <laughs> Our moms were friends, but we don't remember each other. We were told that we were friends, so this is like an yeah. arranged friendship where we were going to re-meet when we were older. Yeah. And it worked. <laughs> Big time. Oh, gosh. How long ago did you get into photography?
1: Uh, well, probably just like most photographers. You know, you learned in high school or when you were a kid. And then... Um, I spent all of my twenties. I don't. Well, I don't even know what I was doing in my twenties, but it wasn't photography, that's for sure. So I guess in two thousand twelve or thirteen, I don't know. It all seems so far away. Um, I started working for a local photographer, and then I started my own business almost four years ago now. Does that math make sense? I think it does. <laughs> it works for me.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm like I'm being recorded, so I don't. know. <laughs> I want to make sure that's correct.
0: What you're saying can and will be used against you in a court of law. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> What is it about photography that you love?
1: I love the fact that it is kind of a tangible memory. All we really have are memories. And having photographs, to me, are important. I have all of my mom's baby pictures. I have all of my dad's baby pictures. or not all of them, but I have quite a few of them. And even, like, I think I have one picture of my dad with his father because his father died when he was six months old in World War II, He's buried in England, and the only picture that my dad ever had was the day before the day that he left for England of he and my grandmother and um, one of him holding my dad, and that's the only picture that he ever had. And so both – I know my sister Melissa and I both have those pictures, and we cherish those, and we know how important they were to our dad because he didn't know this person, um, his own father. So – you know, if he didn't even have that picture. Mm. Um, so pictures to me are important because you know, even doing wedding photography, we, you know, you've been to weddings where people, grandparents, parents pass away and those were the last pictures they had of them. And hopefully they're really great pictures. <laughs> um, but even if they're not, it's a picture, you know, it's a, it's a memory of that person and um, hopefully a happy time in your life and their life um, to remember. So, yeah, I think it's just having those memories. So, yeah, and especially with children, with babies, because they grow up so fast and you never know what your relationship with a child is going to be like. Speaking as an adult child, <laughs> <laughs> um, your, your, uh, relationship with your parents, you know, roller coaster for some people. Some people are really blessed to have amazing relationships with their parents. Um, and some people are not. So, um, I think for the parents, no matter where that relationship goes or even where the mother and father, wherever that relationship goes, you know, there's always that special time when their child was born. They'll always remember and they'll have these photographs. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, life is just insane. I think it's important to have pictures of the good times. So when the bad times come, you have those. I like that. Yeah.
0: And you now predominantly do family, children, birth photos.
1: Yes. Yes. So I was a, um, I worked as a wedding photographer for a while and I still work with my husband um, at weddings that they photograph and video, which are always fun. Um, but yes, for me, my business, I focus on families. So babies uh, or newborns, maternity, families. I used to photograph birth, but my schedule doesn't necessarily allow for that anymore. Cause that's, <laughs> you it's on a call. lot. You're on call for like, feels like a month yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and that's a huge deal you know that's that's like committing to a wedding mm-hmm. you don't miss a birth mm-hmm. yeah so yeah
0: well and what I love is just being able to see the relationships that you've built with your customers that like mm-hmm. now some of them come to like your birthday party yeah and things like that and they love to give you gifts like that doesn't happen with a lot of clients and photographer relationships I feel like
1: no, and I think that that, is, to me, that's upsetting because I always tell people, even when, even when I was photographing weddings, like if, if when we first meet, if this doesn't work, if you think I'm a complete weirdo, uh, don't hire me. Hire someone that you want to be at your wedding uh, and with births, with newborns, because I go to your home for newborn sessions if this doesn't work out, if you meeting me, you're like, I don't want this person in my house two days, three days, whatever, after I've had a baby, don't hire me. Hire someone that you click with because a family photographer should be personal. And what I would love is from all of my clients is that they continue to hire me, that we have that relationship. And I do have clients where I've photographed their second babies. And um, and that to me, uh, I just love being that small part of something that. I just imagine those children like looking at those pictures later on in life, not giving two hoots about me, not even knowing who took the picture, but they have the picture. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like I have my mom and my dad's photos and like they have these of their family. So that's just what I imagine. Um, I think especially to the culture that we're in now where we're starting to really appreciate women, all the things we can do from especially the women that I work with. My clients tend to be working moms Working badass moms Um, and mothers, which is a whole other job. So I hope that their children can look back at those pictures and just, you know, see that all of that is something that can be accomplished and done
0: well. I'm a horrible liar. (laughs) (laughs) Like when it comes to people. That's not a bad thing. (laughs) Well, now, but people might asking me their opinions. So. Mm. If I say that I like something, it's that I truly, really like it and think it's great, and so that's why I love. Very thankful that you're actually really talented at what you do.
1: I appreciate that. Be
0: like that, Leanne. Camera, Mm -hmm. yeah, pictures. She does that, (laughs) but I really like. Uh I tell other people what you do because you're so good at it. Mm -hmm. One, one, you're. I mean, I love the bonus of the relationship they get with you, but then also like. I just love how creative you are with your shoots and you create all these mini sessions that are, I remember pictures you took of some friends of them like making pancakes with their family Mm -hmm. and it's just these special things and they're not all these cookie cutter. Now there's anything wrong with that, but you know, it's, there's, it's, it's just different. You can tell that every session is personalized to that family. And Mm -hmm. I just, I love that. And I just think that, um, People are just getting such a gift in multiple ways when they get the opportunity to work with you. Oh, so I'm serious. Again, not a good liar. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I know that about you. So I appreciate that. Um, yeah, no, I, I, some of that one that you're talking about where they were making um, muffins, they're making okay. blueberry muffins. And uh, that was a really fun session. And it was something at a time I was trying to do more of, which in the future is what I'm trying to do, where we have an actual thought out process of like, what are things that you and your family love to do together? Um, Photos at the beach are awesome. I actually love shooting at the beach, aside from the sand. (laughs) Um, The beach is beautiful year round, um, but being able to create the environments where, or recreate the environments that, you know, your children will remember, like just even reading books and playing on a Saturday morning. Um, or butt-making pancakes or muffins with the family and stuff. Um, And photos in your home where your children grow up, um, I think, are important. So those are always fun to me, to kind of just have this whole concept behind a shoot instead of just a portrait session.
0: So speaking of family, I know that this time of year is particularly vulnerable for you. How old were you, and how many years has it been since your dad passed away?
1: Um, I had turned 30 in 2012, so it was December 27th,
0: 2012, so it's been six years. It'll be six years this year, in just a couple weeks. How soon before that had he gotten sick, or did y'all know that he was sick?
1: He had been sick for a long time. He had COPD, because he smoked since he was, like, 14 years old, and, uh... So, he was on an oxygen tank for a few years prior to that, prior to him passing, and then... But, honestly, it happened really quick. He ended up getting pneumonia and being hospitalized, and uh, he was in a coma, basically. So, it happened really quick. Let's see. I guess he got sick on Thursday, on a Thursday, and he had called 911. He didn't call any of us to tell us he was feeling bad, that he was sick, but I guess it got so bad that day he had called nine one one, and he had made it to his car. I guess he was going to try to drive himself, from what the the EMT had told us. But they, when they got there, he was outside um, at his car uh, on the ground, and they took him to the hospital. And I guess all they had were his keys. I don't, I he had a wallet and his phone, but phone died. So we did not know he was in hospital and he was in a coma the whole time and we didn't find out till Sunday. So there's a lot of guilt with that because you're like, you don't talk to your dad every day? It was Christmas. It was, for me, there's a lot of guilt. I can't speak to my my siblings, but for me, I felt bad Cause at that point, that year, I'd had a rough year with him. Um, he was, <laughs> he was a rather crotchety fella uh, for his family. He lived in the past. I think a lot of people, a lot of older people probably live in the past, but he was just, yeah, he, it just felt like he was always really grumpy and it just made it hard to be around him. So we did a lot of things. We we tried to help him whenever we could and, um, take him to the doctor and whatever he needed. But yeah, my mom who wasn't living in Wilmington at the time and she was here for most of December and she just, she's one of those people that always wants to be doing something. So we went to, uh, a ballet. We went to a Christmas show and we had been to her house and made gingerbread houses and it just felt fun. And like you were a kid and it was Christmas. And, um, and like we did those things that weekend and our dad was in the hospital by himself. So that was hard when we found out because good God, I was at satellite. (laughs) Uh, I was at satellite, um, for their like you know, on Sunday nights, they have their bluegrass, and, like, it's always fun, and at Christmas or Thanksgiving, everybody's home, there's so many people there, um, and I was dating a guy at the time that he was up there playing, and, uh, Melissa called me, because we had talked earlier about how we hadn't talked to dad, and she went by the house, and his car was there, the house was locked, and she's like, I don't know where he is, maybe he's with Uncle Ron, and then, um, she said he wasn't with him, or he said that he wasn't with him, and they hadn't talked to him since Thursday, and so Melissa's like, well, I'm just going to call the hospital, and sure enough, that's where he was, so then Melissa calls me, and she's frantic, and she's like, where are you? I'm coming to get you. He's in the hospital. He's in a coma, so I run, it. I don't even tell the guy I'm dating. I just found a friend. I was like, I need you to take me to the hospital right now. So he took me, and Melissa and I got there at the same time, thank goodness. And that night, I mean, it's just me and my sister and um, and her husband, Kenny, and so we get taken to the room that nobody wants to get taken to. And the doctor is like, well, you know, these are the things that are happening, and, you know, there's a very slim chance he's going to make it. And at that point, not only are we trying to wrap our heads around that, but just the fact that He'd been in there without us. But at that point, his heart was failing, his kidneys were failing, his lungs were failing. He was on all the machines to keep them alive. So that was not a pretty picture (laughs) to walk
0: into. Did y'all realize at some point this is goodbye? Or were you kind of waiting to see how each day played out?
1: Um, I think we were really waiting to see. Because there was that little bit of hope. And at the same time, because I'm probably more of a realist... And for any of those who know the Enneagram, <laughs> I'm six, so I can be the Debbie Downer um, or just the, you know, I think about all the worst case scenarios. And so at that point, I'm thinking of all the care he's going to need if he comes out of it, you know, everything from how are we going to afford it? Is that even is that the life he wants to live? I don't necessarily think he was afraid of dying as much as he was afraid of dying alone. And that was something that he would voice. And then uh, to the whole thought of like him dying and like, well, what does that look like for all of us? For like, what will we have to take care of? What is, what is that? So I was hopeful and I was still then just like, well, I don't know what any of this means. Like, what are the next steps? For me, it was always what is the next step? I don't think I said goodbye until until the end. I would go at night because I, I would wake up in the middle of the night. And they weren't technically allowed to let us in. But I think with my dad's situation, they they knew better than we did. <laughs> um, so they would let me in in the middle of the night. And I would go in and sit with him and, and talk to him. <laughs> I lied to him about who I voted for. Um, <laughs> Obama's second term. I told him I voted for the other guy just to save face. I was like, I don't want to argue because arguing (laughs) with him was just, it was like arguing with a brick wall. Like you weren't going to change him. He wasn't going to change me. And I just didn't want to put the energy into it. So I did confess to him in the hospital that I didn't vote for him. I think my personality is that when there were people coming to visit, I would end up just kind of hosting it. Mm. Like... Thank you for coming, spending time with that person. And part of me regrets that only because I wish I had taken more of that time and just been in the room. But I always want to make people feel comfortable and feel good, and which is great, I guess. But, you know, at the time, and I think it was probably also just a form of escapism. But to me, that wasn't him. Like, I didn't, I don't know if he was able to hear me or any of those things. I think they can, but it wasn't the same. <laughs> I kind of wished he had been able to argue with me. So yeah, I did have my my time eventually, the day that we were going to take him off everything. And then when we were all in the room, we, we were all surrounding him, which I thought was amazing. I think his biggest fear was dying alone. So I just thought it was really beautiful that we were all in there and... Again, the guy I was dating at the time, really amazing person, very kind and thoughtful. And he had the idea to, um, for everyone in the room to just go around as it was happening, um, for everyone to go around and just share a story about my dad. And at first I was like, oh my God, that sounds terrible. (laughs) (laughs) But as it started happening and everyone's just really quiet and crying, I'm like, no, we've got to do something. We can't just stand here like this. And uh, so we all go around and, and just share something about him, and that was really special.
0: As you were saying about him not wanting to die alone, it's like not only did he have all those people around him, they also were taking that moment to celebrate times that were special to each of them with him.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think so too. I'm really glad I wasn't so stubborn as to not do that that day. <laughs> Um, that was a really great way to send him off to say goodbye. I don't remember what was said. The only thing I really remember about that was, um, I remember hearing my sister, uh, my sister, Melissa, at one point, she just kind of, she made that audible crying sound, that sound that your body just forces you to (laughs) make. That, I think, is what I remember about that. And then once the nurse came in and said that he was gone, I just had a switch in me that was like, all right, this is over. I need to, I've got things I've got to do. Because for whatever reason, he left me in charge of some <laughs> of his stuff and I got pissed at him for doing that to me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I immediately, I just, I la- I think I was the first one to leave the room. And I went out there to the nurse's station, I was like, all right, what, what has to happen now? What do you need us to do? And I think from then, I think the rest of the day, that was the – it was like I just pushed it. I just compartmentalized. I'm like, okay, well, that emotional thing is done. I've got these things that don't require emotions that I have to do.
0: Do you remember what it was like the first months after his passing?
1: I truly believe that everyone goes – through the process differently. Some people just will always push it down and push it down and never, never address it or address it with other people. I think that you have to address it with yourself. And then no matter what you do with that, whether you express those emotions to someone, whether it's a friend or a counselor or whomever, or if you just don't, you just accept like, okay, this is how I feel and now push it down and go to work. But those few months after I can't even say a few months. I, that whole year, it's just the, that year of first is really strange. And so, mm. um, but yeah, that those months after. I mean, there comes a point where people stop asking how you are, whether it's because they're uncomfortable with it or um, they kind of don't think to ask. Which I get. You know, I've done that. I still, but those those times, I think, like for me, it was it was the months later. When people, when everybody goes back to their life, and your life is forever changed, it's nice for people to still ask, and it, it happens more along the holidays, and if they know about your birthday or or your that person's birthday that that's died. But yeah, I think because that first year, you just, you know, I was on my way to Greenville, I think to to celebrate someone's wedding, and we had family that lived in Apex, and we were going through there, and I remember thinking like. Oh, I don't recall where Aunt Phoebe lived. I need to call my dad. And I was like, I just burst into tears. Driving down the highway in the country. Because I was like, oh yeah, I can't call. him. Uh, and occasionally I still have that, that thought. Like, where the hell did that come from? Because it's six years. Like, you still, it's, it's not that in the grand scheme of things. You are with someone for 30 of them. So six years doesn't really be like a whole lot of time. And kind of in that, in that, like, whole thought process, like, I just remember the the night he died, going to sleep that night was, I mean, I cried myself to sleep, obviously. Um, but when you really think about the fact that you're never going to see someone again, especially that person that you've known your entire life, there's not many people that have known you your entire life. That was, that was a hard pill to swallow. And that was the first thought I had the next morning. It's just that you're, you're never going to see that person or hear their voice. Well, I guess that's not really the case anymore. I actually had a bunch of my dad's voicemails saved and I saved them. Or I, I listen to them occasionally. I don't listen to them too much, but uh, he had a really strong voice. <laughs> very deep, very uh, commanding. So I do have those. And I actually saved my grandmother's too. She passed away last year, and I have some of hers. So, so that first year, <laughs> again, is just a bunch of firsts. You know, your first birthday, all your first holidays, first Father's Day, uh, for me or in f- my family. Again, I don't, I don't want to, and I don't think I have, but I don't want to speak for my siblings because all of us had different relationships with him and. For me, I experienced it was never the day of. It was never the day of a holiday. It was never Father's Day. It was never my birthday or his birthday. It was always kind of the days leading up to that were harder. Just because you knew, like, what would be happening or those sorts of things. My dad, he would, you know, it's Father's Day, so I can complain about what I want to. (laughs) Um, I can cook what I want to. If we want to go to Golden Corral, that's what we're going to (laughs) do. I remember my sister, she got pregnant that following year, and which was really great. And also, we all kind of thought that whole, like, because my dad just could not wait to be, for me or Melissa to get pregnant. And he was always like, when are you getting married? He's like, yo. Um, I think after my first marriage, when I was getting a divorce, I think he cried harder than I did. And I think it was really just because he was like, well, now he's going to take care of me. <laughs> Then like ever, like really kind of ever since that I got divorced and that was what, that was when I was 25, thousand two thousand seven, 2007, I think. I didn't introduce him to anybody. I dated hardly because it was just like, well, when are you going to get married? I need grandkids. I'm like, you've got grandkids. <laughs> you have grandchildren. <laughs> um. So then Melissa got pregnant and she was pregnant that first Thanksgiving after he died and, um, I think we, we made it where it was just me and my my sister Melissa and my brother-in-law Kenny. I think we went to Bridge Tender. We were just like, if things are different. So we're just going to embrace it and it's going to be different.
0: I love that though that y'all did something different. Like you're like, it's going to be different no mm-hmm. matter what. Like you said, like everyone is different how they deal with it. And for some people that might not be the right step for them. But right. I love that it wasn't. No, let's try to recreate always what we've done and
1: yeah, I think that was Im- important. I'd like to say it was important for us to do that. It was important for us to be together, but yeah, just to embrace the the difference, the change that that all of that brought about. And it was it was fun. It was different. It was nice. So yeah, that was Thanksgiving and then Christmas. I think for us that first Christmas without him I don't even know if it was a first Christmas because he wasn't necessarily there when he died because everything happened at Christmas. So for me, I was just thinking about like, well, you know, this is two weeks from when he died. Like, this is what I was doing. And I remember this is this was the last time I saw him. This was the last thing I said to him. So there was a lot of guilt. There was a lot of um, just kind of replaying for me. So it wasn't necessarily thinking about, you know, it's Christmas. Without dad, it was like, oh, this is what happened last Christmas when everything happened. So so I think our situation just having happened around the holidays is very different. Experiencing that again without – than maybe someone that lost someone over the summer mm-hmm. and, and going through that. I don't know. Because I still think about that. I'm like, oh, well, you know, this would have been the night we found out.
0: Yeah. What are some things that have helped you personally – I think I've had to learn, and maybe even
1: before this, I've just kind of had to learn to be okay with being vulnerable and sharing stories and sharing experiences with people. I think even before my dad, like my grandma my grandma Elsie, she died when I was in second grade, my favorite aunt aunt Phoebe at the time she died when I was in third grade, both you know on my dad's side, and so at a very young age, I was. I knew about death, I, I experienced mortality, I knew that like, okay, we're not living forever. That and then going, I got married really young and divorced soon after really young and going through those emotions and, and divorce, I feel like even if you know that it was never the right thing, it's still a loss of a person, it's still a loss of of someone that knew you and that you thought you knew. And to me, those emotions are, are very similar to having lost a person. So I guess for me, I feel, I feel like I've experienced a lot of loss, mm-hmm. but nothing like that, nothing like my dad, um, that person that knew you your entire life, that you're an adult, and maybe and someone that you are always trying to get to notice you. Being okay with being vulnerable and having those times for me, it, I, I do try to share stories with people, or if people ask I think talking about things, whether it's just with a friend or a counselor, I think is super helpful when you feel a certain way and it's not always to be validated or to be affirmed or, but you just having to get those things out of your body, out of your mind is really helpful. And knowing that it's okay to have the feelings, like I can tell people how guilty I feel about things that happened about the last time I saw my dad. And I don't need someone to tell me like, Like, you don't need to feel guilty about that. Sure, maybe I don't, but I do, and that's okay. Like, I'm just, I'm accepting that that is fine. And how I deal with that is that I try to be better going forward with the way that I leave relationships, the way that I leave conversations or times with people. When I know that someone has lost a parent or lost anyone, I tend to reach out to them and just say, "Hey." There's nothing I can say that's gonna make this better. I'm still guilty of saying, oh, I'm sorry for your loss. All the things that people say and, because it's it's an awkward thing to acknowledge. It's an awkward thing to know that someone's hurting and maybe you've never experienced it before. Even if you have, it's still super hard, it's weird. So I reach out and I just say, look, there's gonna be a time when people stop asking you how you are and that's probably gonna be the time that you actually need people to ask. So I just want you to know that if that day comes, like I hope you can think of me, like reach out to me and maybe what I actually should be doing is reaching out to them. But also it's the things that you don't know, like with with grief, with with trauma, probably of any kind. It's like you don't know how you're gonna react and you don't know what you're going to need because those moments of grief, they hit you like a brick wall in the weirdest times and places. You're not never really ready for it. And like asking someone who's just lost someone, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone ever asks that thinking that they're going to say, I'm great. I think they ask it because that is just a normal way to start a conversation generally. And even in those situations, like how do you start that conversation? Mm -hmm. Um, So while we probably all hate that, I don't blame people. I don't fault people for it. It's just, it's an awkward place to be. On the receiving line of that, there's no right or wrong. I don't think there's a right or wrong. Again, everybody's so different. Yeah. So, and and the way that it, it can change you. I mean, I have one friend that she lost her mother a few years ago. And uh, I think it was a couple of years before I lost my dad. And she was, I was really proud of her. She just, she would always say like this is how i'm feeling today on facebook and some people hate that there's a lot of things i hate about facebook but for me like she would just share this happened to me today and all i could think about was wanting to call my mom whether it was good or bad or whatever it was and i just i felt like that was probably so freeing for her to be able to do and i know her well enough to know it wasn't just a place like um she was seeking the attention or anything like that but it was just a place where she could go and, and get that off of her chest. So I think in whatever way, you know, it's starting to run or yoga or talking to having coffee with your friends and talking about it. I think if you're feeling those things that it's just good to talk about them. I think so. I also like to talk. <laughs> I like talking. I like listening. <laughs> yeah. I like the deep conversations. I'm not great at small talk. I feel like that gets me in trouble. <laughs> like at work events, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, ah, this weather's great. <laughs> Have you had anything terrible happen in your life lately that you just talk about? Tell me about it. Let's talk about that. <laughs> I will say there is one thing to not do when you know someone that has lost someone: do not go to them and only talk about your own story of loss, because everyone has a different story, and when they're in the midst of it give them that save the comparisons save how you felt all the things that happened save that for later because that person's not going to receive any of that there's no comparison at that moment it's only what you're experiencing that did not personally happen to me but I have been in a room where that happened and it was uncomfortable and it was weird and again that I think was just a, a form of that person dealing with that that other loss as well but them also maybe just trying to say, you know, like this happens, like this is this is how I felt. If you feel this way, this is that, you know, it's normal. But save your personal story for later.
0: Some people may not agree with me. <laughs> no, but I think it's a good point. It's hard and you have to kind of take that step back to recognize, wait, am I sharing this right now because mm-hmm. I'm also kind of processing what's my situation mm-hmm. or because I really am just trying to be here and i think exactly what you said like if you're bringing so much of your own personal story and seeking comfort or Mm -hmm. something from that person you're trying to help then that probably means it's not Mm -hmm. the right thing or timing to be sharing
1: right and you're not listening to that person Mm -hmm. whether that person has anything to say yeah you know it doesn't matter you're not listening you're not being aware like yeah being aware of other people and sometimes in the midst of grief i'd say most of the time in the midst of grief you're not aware of other people
0: yeah I once heard that people aren't going to remember your words but they're going to remember your presence Mm -hmm. in times like that and that's just always really stuck with me like to no matter what to always go Mm -hmm. um,
1: yeah I mean just like I said like I don't remember the words that we said around my dad's bed that day but I remember everyone that was in there and that was a big deal um And I remember the people that were at his funeral and and the people that came, whether they went to my dad's room or not, but the people that came to the hospital just to give support. And that was before he died. But again, if that's not something you're comfortable with, like know your boundaries. I can't fault people that maybe didn't come to the hospital. Like, all I can really say is everybody's situation is different. Everyone's relationship with that, with a loved one is different. My dad and I had a different relationship than even my sister and he had, or uh, my other sister and he had or
0: yeah but I, I think something that I keep getting I've actually been thinking a lot about lately is just community and like us all being a part of each other's lives and mm-hmm. you know how life is hard and we're not supposed to do it alone mm-hmm. and when we do it alone it's so much harder
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I mean I think that's just with like everything you said like in the hard times and in the good times like I think it's the people that make all the difference,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, having them around and letting them care for you and, and people reaching out to other people when they need to reach out to them. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I can't passion in any situation. I feel like without the friends that I've had and my
0: family, I don't know how people do it alone. Just the reminder of trying to have good, supportive people in your life mm-hmm. because you can have lots of people in your life that are just very surface and don't. Yeah doing anything for you and thankfully you can always like if you have no one that's helpful like you can go to a counselor or mm-hmm. something but just knowing that there are good people in this world mm-hmm. and want to have them just hold on to them and, mm-hmm. and you can all be very different like all of our, us and our friends like we're yeah. all very very different let's not have people yes. that agree with you
1: no exactly and I think that it's something to consider like knowing like I know my friends and I know you know I know who is not necessarily comfortable with talking about deep real like deep sad things anyway um and I know that I have friends that are really into that <laughs> <laughs> not on like some weird like uh terrible like we're all just sitting around crying kind of way but um sort of more of a therapeutic sort of way but and actually, I think more what I'm I'm really trying to say is that you know how certain people are going to react to whatever it is, whether you're coming to them with like, I'm feeling really sad because my dad died or um, I'm really upset at this girl at work that did this to me. You know how certain people are going to react and you know what you need. Mm-hmm. And so, you know. Especially for me, if you come to me about a girl that did something wrong to you, I'm going to be like, let's go get her. What's her number? What do you need me to say?
0: I love it. I'm, I'm all bark. But in the moment, it's great. Yeah. My bite is very gummy. We don't take it to a felony. <laughs> um, But
1: you know that, like, okay, that is not what I need. I just want to tell someone and them say, oh, yeah, no, I get that. Not like, let's go (laughs) fighter. So, and I recognize that about myself and I've tried to uh, really like bring that in, like wrangle that in, I guess. Like when people come to me with stuff, I'm like, okay, they don't need me to fight for them. (laughs) They just want to tell me about this or they don't need the devil's advocate right now. Um, Again, I'm a 6, so I'm a devil's advocate.
0: (laughs) I think you're a 10. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry.
1: (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. and I mean, we haven't talked about this at all, but Adam, my husband, lost his dad a year ago. His dad died in November 2017, so just a year ago. So this has been his year at first. And he is someone that is in touch with his feelings and will let them out when I love
0: that about him.
1: Yeah. And I don't always have to question what it is. And sometimes I do. And he tells me, and there's not, I I know like, there's nothing I can say. I just know that you have to experience this. You've got to go through it. And if you want to talk about it, then we can talk about it. I will listen to you. And he's just very much that person that's like, well, there's nothing really to talk about. I just feel sad. I just miss my dad. And there isn't anything you can do or say. So just kind of loving on that person, extra special during that. And just kind of going through this whole year at first with him. And I'm completely guilty of having those moments of forgetting that. And I live with him, sleep in the same bed with him. And, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, this would be a time where he would really be missing his dad like why are you in such a bad mood (laughs) just walking with people through those you know just like we have to have a lot of grace with our friends going through different periods of life having babies have getting married and everybody kind of going through those steps of those new normals when you lose people that's a new normal having grace for those people trying to get acclimated to that and I don't know that you can get acclimated to it I think that you just you continue on there's nothing else to do life goes on
0: yeah. But I think that's great, the concept of the new normal, because it is, it's is—it's—it's—it's it's almost like it's a before and after. You mm-hmm. know, there's gonna be my life before this happened and my life after this happened. Yeah. And when something that huge happens, it does, it shapes you in so many ways. And that's not something that just, you're all of a sudden changed that neck. I mean, you are changed that next day, but it's something that has that ripple effect. Mm-hmm. It is still always going to be hard, but those ripples are going to kind of start to smooth out as to how it's formed you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really good advice about just giving people grace in the space and knowing that mm-hmm. they're in this time that they just need to be. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's easy to think in, in all the situations in life, the happy ones, especially that like things are still always going to be the same. And it's just, it's not the way life is. Life is always changing. And so even for the bad times to, to, I think maybe we have more grace for people in the bad times, Mm. but yeah, just understanding and knowing that life life is just always moving, doesn't stop for anything.
0: I loved how Adam put together this year, um, Mm. a year after his dad passed, that he just put together this beautiful video. Mm. Um, Sorry, no, tearing up. (laughs) Um, Beautiful video, just tribute to his dad and however people need to at different points let emotion out like whether it's putting together a video and then every year watching that video mm-hmm. running journaling whatever it is i'm thankful that there are so many beautiful outlets and like your friend posting on facebook mm-hmm. it's so important to let that out i just love that he did that yeah he's a uh,
1: he is a sensitive guy in a very strong way yeah Uh, he's a very strong person but I I love that he was able to use all of his creative talents and, and he's an amazing storyteller and so having those home videos I mean that's something when we talk about photography and with what he does he does photo and video at weddings and video just like the videos that he posts like you hear that voice and Dick was so much like my father. Dick is Adam's father. He was so much like my dad, the voice, all the opinions in the world. Like, we're, I just always felt like I was with my dad when I was with Dick. And the, even the way that he died was very similar. He died two rooms over from where my dad died. All of it was just insanely similar. Walking through that with Adam was really hard. But what was hard about it it was hard losing Dick for me also because it felt like I was losing my dad again, but not being able to protect Adam from those things. So I, I love that he was able to, again, like for the funeral, he made this, that, that whole video, which was incredible. He had those things to do that with too. And you hear his voice and you, you see these relationships over video and photo and, and being able to live, relive those happy moments through those things. I think, again, it, Where documenting your life and photographing is so important, but yeah, just I think having those things, whether you make a a movie about it or not, just having them.
0: Yeah. Well, and this year when you and Adam got married in Costa Rica, Mm -hmm. thank you for that. I loved being there. (laughs) You're welcome. I mean, I would have gone wherever y'all got married, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) having a monkey as my date was wonderful. Mm. He was so cute. He was. Um, I imagine knowing that your dad wouldn't have been there, but then Adam now being in that same situation, I mean, what was that like? I do wish he'd been
1: there for that. I wish he'd been able to meet Adam. I think he would have loved him. And for Adam, like his dad was his best friend, but we also knew like he wasn't going to be able to go to Costa Rica. We knew that. It didn't feel like he was missing from that. We knew. We were prepared that he wasn't going to be able to be there. But because we got married in Costa Rica, we did have to get married at the courthouse here. So we got married here like a week before. Then we had just a very small dinner with our parents. And there was a sense of sadness that night in knowing that Dick wasn't there. Because, I mean, I think he really liked me. (laughs) (laughs) He was excited that we were engaged. (laughs) You know, because I remember there was, he, Adam spoke at this, like, I think it was a Cape Fear, I don't know if it was a part of Cape Fear Community College, but it was at the college, and it was a camera club, and there were a bunch of people there. I think they mostly, like, photographed, like, ducks and birds and stuff, but uh, Adam was speaking at it and it was a really good talk, and people asked a lot of questions, and his dad ended up coming, and Adam had just told him about it. His dad, his dad supported him so much. Um, He was really, really proud of Adam. He was really proud of all of his children, but it was, that was really nice to, to witness, like, how much he supported Adam, and uh, so he just showed up, and he kind of showed up late, so I wasn't able to sit with him, and I guess he, at the end of the night, we're all kind of saying our goodbyes, and he comes over and he gives me a hug, and he's like, "I really love the way you look at my son." And then that was it. That he like left. I was like, "Oh my god, Dick, you're so sweet." <laughs> so now I'm like, I'm like, okay, how am I looking at Adam? <laughs> <laughs> Would he approve? <laughs> Yeah. So I think for me now, it's just kind of knowing what people are most likely going to be going through, which is just a roller coaster of things. And You can't protect people from that. You can't take that on. And I think my personality is that I try to deal with things as soon as possible. So not that I'd like dull with it and it's done. I don't think those sorts of things are ever done. But I, I feel like what I mean more so is that I try to acknowledge how I'm feeling, why I'm feeling, and I try to deal with it in whatever way I feel the most healthy. So me and that, I think that that's where I'm like, let's talk about this. You know, not even just me. I'm like, oh, you're feeling this way. Well, let's talk about it. Not everybody wants to talk about it, you know, even within that first year. And I know that some of my friends that have lost parents or, or siblings or whomever, they go through different times. I think my, my first year that was really rough was the third year where I, where I really experienced that, that sense of, of loss and that sense of like, he's not here. Why the third year? I don't know. For some people, it's the first year. For some people, it's the fifth year. And for some people, it, it really happens in those big life-changing moments when they get married, when they have kids, when they get a new job, You know, when they have those, those moments where they really just wanna share with their family.
0: Well, I love that photographs and videos and stories, like you, that person, I feel like stays with you and stays Mm -hmm. alive and you can pass them on. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people that didn't get to meet them, like his grandkids, they'll know him through y'all, like Mm -hmm. through videos, through stories and just through who each of you are. You know, when we meet someone, they are part of us, whether we see it or not. And so Mm -hmm. that's passed on. And others get to experience that even if they don't know really where it's coming from yeah hey guys i hope this conversation between lean and i has been comforting to those who can relate sometimes just hearing the words from someone else who gets it can be soothing in so many ways one of the things i took away most from this conversation was a reminder that letting people in and leaning on them is crucial in hard times in life as well as communicating with one another about what we need and don't need everyone deals with life and grief differently What may be best for you isn't necessarily best for someone else. So ask. Ask that person how you can specifically be there for them in this time. And continue to ask as the years go by. Because losing someone isn't a wound that ever completely heals. I think how we deal with it results in either it being a constant gaping wound or a scar. A scar is a constant presence, but in a way that you can carry it with you in life that person is always a part of you and always a part of your story. There will always be times when it hurts, but letting people in and letting yourself breathe and grieve when needed makes all the difference. If you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please pass it along. Also, if you have a second, please hop over to iTunes to rate The Restoring Heart podcast and leave a comment. We've just a few weeks left to be eligible to make it on the new and noteworthy list, and every rating and comment Helps increase our chances of making it on there. Again, if you would like to hear more of Leanne and my conversation, head over to patreon.com backslash restoringheart and sign up to be either a baby unicorn or one of the tiers above it in order to have immediate access to the 90-minute extended episode. Also, if you are looking for a fabulous photographer, please go to Leanne Haskins to check out her work and contact her. Again, I'm a horrible liar, so when I say that she's good, I mean it. There are also links to her website in the show notes and on social media posts for this episode. Until next Thursday, I hope you all will do something restoring to your heart and to the hearts of those around you. For those celebrating either the following, Merry Christmas or Happy Kwanzaa. Bye for now.